Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to My Millennium Money Professional. My name's Dev Raga, and in this episode, we have a Money Wins episode. We have a special guest. His name is Luke, and Luke is an electrician. So, hello, Luke, and welcome. Hi, Dev. How you going, mate? Oh, good, thank you. So, I think it was about June or July last year that you actually contacted me via Facebook, and we've been sort of chatting about sort of general financial principles, which is great. But you've kindly offered up your time to come up as a guest because I think a lot of people can learn from what you've achieved in your life. And also being a non-healthcare worker, I'm very interested to hear your opinions about some of the financial concepts and principles. Let's get started. Now, if you're new to the podcast channel, there are three main aims. Remember them, education, empowerment, and entertainment. And if you have any special questions, please don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. So Luke, like I said, we we sort of got chatting about sort of eight months ago on Facebook. It was pretty random and you're probably one of the first non-healthcare workers that's actually reached out to me. And you might've noticed we've rebranded the channel as My Millennial Professional because we are getting a lot of non-healthcare workers joining because they've realized that you know, money doesn't really matter what profession you are, the principles are the same, the concepts are the same. So I'm really interested to get your perspective. So perhaps for our audience, just introduce yourself and what do you do for a living? And tell us about your sort of overview of money and money journey. Yeah, um, my name's Luke. I'm a 33-year-old male, uh, originally from the western suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, I currently reside in the northeastern suburbs of Melbourne these days, um, in a leafy sort of hilly area. I am a commercial electrician, but I uh, I work in a sort of specialised area in this industry. So I don't just buy houses and I'm not your light and power sparky. I'll do something a little bit different, a little bit more niche. Um, I have a beautiful wife and a gorgeous golden retriever. And basically my hobbies consist of um, anything that will give me an elevated heart rate. So I'm basically in the gym every day and if I'm not there, I'll be mountain biking or trekking or um, yeah, just basically just a fit guy and um, something that you might not know. I'm also a car enthusiast. And can I ask how old are you? Sorry, I think you might've said it, but I might've missed it. 33, so yeah. 33. So I think it's probably worthwhile for listeners to understand the whole profession of being an electrician because I don't really know what it what it takes to become an electrician. So can you sort of walk us through what you did to become an electrician? And when you say commercial electrician, my understanding of that is, you know, working for businesses and working for office blocks, but obviously not not doing the wiring and all that sort of stuff, doing a little bit more niche stuff as opposed to a household electrician. So can you tell us a little bit about the difference and what made you become a commercial electrician as opposed to a traditional 
quote unquote electrician? Yeah, um, well, when I finished high school, I actually first got into uh, studying at university to become a PE teacher. Mm. Um, I was doing that for about six months and I uh, deferred out of that um, and I enrolled in a pre-apprenticeship. So that was a six-month course that I had done. And basically, I um, at the end of that, I had a few job offers and they were uh, – I think I had three at the time. So they were just like sort of the general sort of sparky. So like your domestic, some more like house, suburban houses – um, that kind of thing. Um, and then there was a, a commercial one, which was more like your high-rise buildings in the city, light and power and that kind of standard thing. And then there was the uh, third one that I had well, that I was offered, which was a um, – it was specialised. So it wasn't – I don't want to go into too much detail on what I exactly do, but it's it's a little bit outside the realms of, yeah, what, a nor- what you would think of a normal electrician doing. And, yeah, I sort of did that because it was a little bit more boutique – um, and I believe they had greater opportunity for income. Right. So, so if I can use a health analogy then, so for example, to become a doctor as an example is, you know, you go to med school, then you become a doctor, then you have to do some junior training, then you've got to do some specialisation training. So to do what you're doing now, does that mean you had to do the basic qualification as an electrician and then go ahead and do some more training on top of that? Or did you go into your specialised field right from the get-go? Yeah, great question. Um, so basically, I did a A grade electrical apprenticeship, which is what everyone does. And part of my apprenticeship, I was also spending an extra day during the week, or maybe every fortnight at the time, doing extra training in my specialty. So it was almost like you could almost say that it's like a, a dual apprenticeship, where I was doing the general sort of apprenticeship, and I was also doing some specialty training throughout my apprenticeship. Right. Okay. So does that mean then? Can you then go back and do? household electrical stuff or do you need to come back and do additional training for that because you've out of touch for several years? Yeah, that's a great question. So basically as an electrician, how it works is um, I am licensed to do all kinds of work. So um, whether it be domestic or whatever it may be, but um, I don't have that hands-on experience so much so, but with plumbing, um, you would need what is like, for example, your general plumbing, gas plumbing, etc. With plumbing, you need to go get your special tickets in each of those sort of specialty fields to work, be able to legally work in that area. So, depending on your whether you're a plumber, electrician, or carpenter, they've got their own streams in terms of training and what it entails. So you can be a carpenter and still do some subspecialty carpentry stuff. You can be a plumber and just do roof plumbing, for example. Um, But the pathways are completely different. Oh, so broad. Correct. Yeah. Right. And I guess, why did you choose to not go ahead and do, um, and, and look at any stage, if you feel uncomfortable and I'm peering into your life, but I'm just curious because you did say you were going to go to uni to do PE teaching, but then you switched. So what was the primary motivator for that? Um, I had actually, yeah, I had started, so I I had done six months of that. I I lost a little bit of interest. I, I wasn't exactly loving it. And I had a few friends at the time that were apprentice electricians, um, commercial apprentices, and they were already earning um, a really good income at a, at a, at a young age. And I, I remember being at uni thinking, oh, I've got to study for, you know, mm. maybe four years or something like that, and my income's going to probably look something a little bit like this. 
And um, I just thought, wow, I, I can earn maybe, oh, I can earn a lot more money maybe doing something different um, and earn while I learn. That was the big one. Yeah. So I thought, you know what, I'll give it a crack and see if I like it. And it, it suited me, it suited my lifestyle. I'm more of a hands-on type of guy. I, I'm not too academic. I, I sort of, you know, I did okay at high school and things like that, but I think a trade was maybe more suited to me. Right. So you don't come from a family of electricians that own businesses and you're not going to take over, you know, your parents' business or anything like that? No, nah, nothing like that. Okay, right. And is that is that very common in, in the field of um, tradespersons like plumbing or electrician or carpentry from your experience? Do they just sort of follow in the footsteps of the family business? Um, I think that would be more with the domestic guys. So right. with, with the commercial, it's more you got the big companies and, yeah, it's, you sort of just work for that company as a PYG employee. Um, you get good benefits. You get great penalty rates and things like that. I think if it's more of a family thing, um, you know, maybe your father might have a carpentry business or it might be a builder and you sort of work for the family and then maybe take over later on. But you don't see too much of that in the commercial space, I think. Right. Okay. So you basically work for a company, you get paid a steady wage, um, and they pay you super, you get all the entitlements, etc. Correct. So, and we, in, yes, in my specialty, we get paid well, we get paid great penalties. We get paid a higher super rate than uh, I think what the usual used to be about 9%. So our standard super was 12%. Um, right. So there's little benefits as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you get higher super. And at what age, I mean, have you always been an employee or have you sort of had a crack at having your own business and, and having your own sort of um, electrical business or have you always sort of gone for the pay as you go employee pathway? Yeah, I have. Um, and with my specialty, it's nearly impossible to go out and start my own business. Um, right. So basically I, I work for a large a global company. Um, right. And yeah, with what we do, there's there's no such thing as going out on your own and having a crack. Yeah. You have to work for one of the big four, if that makes right. yeah, a, little, a little bit of sense. Yeah. Just for the benefit of the audience, um, me and Luke have had a chat prior to the episode and, and Luke has specifically asked me not to mention anything about the subspecialty. And out of respect, I'm not asking many specific questions. Now, Luke, you did mention about penalties. So for example, in the medical field and the nursing field, if you work after hours or do a night shift or the weekend shift, there's built-in penalties based on what we call the enterprise bargaining agreement in the public system. Now in the private system, it doesn't work like that. I mean, doctors in the private system just get paid fee for service. So the more work you do, the more patients you do, the more procedures you do, you get paid more. How does penalties work in your pay-as-you-go life as an electrician? Yeah, so basically you, you do your standard hours, which is usually 36 hours a week, um, and then any hours after that is double time. Any weekend work is double time. Uh, any shutdown periods can be triple time. Uh, all night shift is double time. And then around all that, you get uh, your side allowances, your travel allowances. If you hold any specific tickets, you will also get extra allowances for those. Um, and much like yourself in your earlier days, I, I quickly realized that if I work outside the standard hours, I could earn a lot more money. And I, yeah, I tried to make the most of that. So do you then do shift work? I do. Correct. Um, okay. I've done a lot right. of it. I've worked in the state. Yeah. So does that mean that your company has people that are specialized in your field, you know, kind of 24 hours a day on call or, I mean, how does that work? I mean, are you, are you, do you get paid every hour that you work or are you on call or? 
Yeah, so when you are on call, you'll get a standard uh, rate for that day. So you, you get X amount of dollars just because you're on call um, and you yep. have to be available. Um, and then the second that phone goes off, you're going to get, I think it was four hours double time. So if right. that phone calls three times in that evening, you, you've made a significant amount of money for that shift. Right, okay. So that means that, I mean, that's for the evening, but during the day, I assume you're still working. Yep. Okay. And and the on-call, is it 24 hours or is it like a whole week on-call or how does that, how does oh, that no. work? So, yeah, they, they basically, they, they divide it up between the guys that are on the, on the on-call roster. So, right. you, yeah, basically, usually you get maybe a week a month or something like that. And if you can't do your week, you, you just speak to your, your project manager and they'll sort someone else out to cover you for that week. Um, but the week that you're on, you basically have to be on their beck and call for 24-7. Right. Okay. Sure. So that's, that's very, very similar to the healthcare sector where, you know, doctor may be doing a day shift or an afternoon shift and then they sort of get phone calls overnight, particularly if you're a consultant. So that, that sounds very, very similar in the public system. We get basically like a flat rate and then we get called in, we get paid for the first four hours. So it's, it's very similar. Now, if you had gone down the private sector where you just became a residential electrician and owned your own business, I assume, just like any other business, you have to pay for your own super, pay for your own sick leave, yeah? Uh, yeah, so I, I, depending on who you work for, but obviously the benefits are, are not as good as in the commercial space, so yeah. Right, okay. And does that mean in the commercial space, is when you say the benefits, I mean, I didn't realise your super is 12%. For example, like, you know, I'm in the public health space and we, we only get, I think it's 10% or 10.5%. Um, so is that specific to your subspecialty or is it just specific to commercial electrical work? No, and on top of that, it's just, um, it's just the company that I work for has that in their personal EBA. So wow. in their okay. enterprise bargaining agreement, if you work for this particular company, one of the benefits is 12% super. Okay. And, and you also mentioned about allowances. Um, and again, tell me if this is just proding too much, but I'm curious, again, in the commercial space, you seem to be getting a lot of allowances. Is it just basically on your pay slip? It comes up as as money. Is that what it is? Is it just money? Yeah. So basically, if you've worked five days or six days that week, you'll get you know your five or six days travel allowance. Um, you might get height allowance depending on what site you are. You get side allowance, and that side allowance is it goes off the um, the price of the project that you're working on. So the bigger jobs you work on, the higher your side allowance just for being there. Um, so yeah, we we do get good allowances, I believe. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Right. And that's on top of your base wage. That's on top of your penalties. That's on top of your yes. super. So you said site allowance and you said height allowance. That's how tall yes. you, you know, that's, that's really interesting. To be honest, I think a lot of people would not know that. And it's really interesting that um, sounds like your remuneration schedule is, you know, clearly you've done additional training and, and, and you've worked it out pretty early in your career, in your, in your early 30s, that this is the pathway that you're taking. So that sort of sets the scene in terms of, you know, who Luke is and what he does. And, 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 and again, he's exchanging time for income. And I guess if you're listening and if you are a junior doctor, if you're a junior nurse, if you're a pharmacist, if you're a train driver, you can utilize those principles and find out where your niche and where your strengths are and really exploit that, which is which is kind of what Luke's done essentially. And now budgets. So do you utilize a budget? I mean, you're on a slightly higher than average income for the electrical field. Do you have a budget system and what system do you use? 
Yeah, I definitely we utilize a budgeting system. Um, I must admit this is something that we've been doing in recent times, so maybe in the last 12 months. And I, I, I now that I know, like when I started sort of reading about fire and, and whatnot like for the fire crowd out there, I, I learned how important a budgeting strategy is. Um, I think it's your bread and butter. So what we do is we, we, my whole investing philosophy is just keep it simple, stupid. And everything I do, I try to keep it as simple as I can. And I do the same with my budgeting. So what we do is basically at the end of every month, we get our net income, we deduct our net expense, and that will leave us with X amount of dollars. And um, we put that money to work. Yeah, we invest. You do that pretty much the day that you get paid or you have a pretty reproducible budget? Yeah, the budget basically, it it can vary from month to month, but... It's basically yeah, pretty much very similar throughout the year. And does your income vary significantly though? I mean, do you have like months where you're just absolutely raking it in and other months you're not? Um, yeah, when, you, when, when I do overtime, um, my income can increase significantly. Um, and this is, I guess, the whole reason why I've gone down this investing sort of pathway because I'm tr- I am trying to create a passive income to replace my overtime. So okay. I, I've got no problem about going to work every day and that kind of thing. But um, I, I've realized in recent times that I, I love the, the income from overtime, um, but I just don't see myself working these big hours, you know, all the time. I've worked most weekends my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be nice just to work the Monday to Friday and have that passive income maybe supplement the rest. Yeah, okay. And, and of course... You're trading time for income now, but the aim is in 10 years' time, when you've got a bit of a portfolio, you can say to your boss, I'm not willing to do on-call, I'm not willing to do weekends, and you've got that bit of a choice. So that's interesting. And in terms of your expenses, um, we talked about your income, which is variable. Uh, does your expense vary that much on a month-by-month basis? And do you have a, like a 5 to 10% variance or...? I, I don't go um, I don't go month to month. Well, we, obviously, when we budget month to month, we look at our expenses. But basically, I look at my annual expenses for the year, and every year they've been quite similar. So, you know, for my my twelve months expenses, they vary a little bit. But I generally know what I spend the year as a as a household. Yeah, and but my income can fluctuate. I, I know what the base minimum is, and then yep. from there it can go up. Yeah. No worries. Yeah, that's interesting. And. and- and I guess in your profession, and I guess in the profession of being an electrician or even a commercial electrician, you know, on site, do you guys talk about money very much? And what's been your experience uh, of people around you about money and, and, and being an electrician? Because I'll tell you what the perspective is from a healthcare worker and the general public. One of my mates is actually a um, cosmetic doctor. His number one clientele is um, tradespersons. That is his number one, male and female. And he was actually quite astonished how much, you know, money they're willing to spend on themselves. So, I mean, the cliche is that being an electrician or plumber, you make great wage and great income and therefore you spend a lot of money. Um, what's been your experience? Is that reality in people around you? Or So when, when you're working, do you sort of, you know, talk about money with your, with your mates uh, or people around you and you sort of realise you know, why are they spending so much money or why aren't they doing what I'm doing? Because clearly you are a little bit above average in terms of income, in terms of financial literacy, in terms of being astute. Yes. Um, where do you see your peers in this space? 
Yeah, so this is um yeah, this is a great question. So I think for talking about money can be such a taboo subject. Um, you know, I'm the kind of guy I love it. It's not because I'm snoopy or you know, I want to know about your business, but I like to sort of try and optimize what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, it, some people don't want to talk about money and, and all those kind of things. Mm. Um, but I, I'm open for it. I love it. You know, like whether it's what who you're banking with, what's your current interest rate and things like that. Mm. Um, but it is, it is a bit touchy talking about certain things around certain people. But I think the biggest thing that I've seen is with our apprentices, I guess the younger generation coming through. Mm, mm. And what I, what, what I seem to see is that you come out of high school, um, say 18 years old, and it bamboozles me how you do not learn about finance at high school. Like, you don't know, they don't teach you about budgeting, they don't teach you about investing, they don't teach you about taking care of your money. Um, and then you literally come out of that environment with little to no income, with very, with very low financial literacy, go onto a site as a commercial, say, plumber, electrician, mm. and straight away you're earning a very solid, good income. And you can just see some people, it's a, a lost opportunity. So some people just making maybe not the best decisions early on in life mm. and then them spiralling to worse as they get older. So they might be, you know, already just getting into consumer debt, buying that car on a loan. Yeah, it sort of gets worse and worse and worse. And then you've got the other sort of crowd that is already thinking, you know, got that good work-life balance where they're, they're having fun, they're young, but they're still putting some money away. They're saving for their house deposit. So, yeah, I sort of see both sides of it on, on side anyways, especially with our apprentices. And and can I ask for commercial electrician, um, you know, not in your specialty, but in general, what's your what's your entry rate as an apprentice? I mean, how much money do you make? Um, what's normal? As an apprentice, oh, it's been it was a while ago since I was an apprentice. No, it's pretty good. Okay. Like it's it's come up a, a lot. Like uh, exact numbers. Oh, off the top of my head, I couldn't really tell you, but are it's, we are we talking it, are we talking sort of sixty grand, seventy grand, or less or more? Yeah, I think fifty grand as a first year would be pretty normal. Yeah, like right. I, I know some third years that are making say one hundred and fifty. Right. As okay. A third year. Yep. So, yeah. yeah, if you're willing to work, if you if you're a hard worker and you're committed and 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 you show, you know, eagerness and. Yeah, you, you can earn a good amount of money at a very young age, definitely. So a third year would be what age? Oh, say so that would be around, say, 21, 20, something like okay, that. Okay, so that, that's good coin. And then when you finish your apprenticeship, when you become a you know electrician and you're all graduated, um, is it sort of around that sort of uh, money we're talking about, 150, or is it yeah, so much that, higher? Yeah, so that kind of money was obviously with a, with a lot of overtime, but like I said, it's there if you want it for certain people. Um, but as a qualified um, electrician, I'd say your base is about around about 120,000. Okay, um, yep. So you wouldn't need a lot of overtime to get to about 150. Um, and if you find yourself on the right site – doing the doing doing the hours and it's 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 hard yakka don't get me wrong you're doing big hours and you, you it's yeah if, if you're doing the big hours it's i know plenty of guys making two hundred thousand dollars a year as a sparky right and that's and that's that's when you say hard yakka that's that's also physical labor yeah i mean you're, you're, you're physically oh, demanding sure. work yeah okay yes yeah. and in my specialty 
it's more physical than a general right. sparky. So yes, it's 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 hard labor as well. Correct. What's the norm for electricians work-wise? Is it five days a week, six days a week? Because I mean, I see people driving around. I mean, I'm not yeah. commercial electrician-wise, but I, I see people driving around on the weekends uh, when I'm driving around when I'm working. But but I see that the plumber and the, and the builder they're all out and about at six six thirty in the morning on a Saturday morning. So what's normal? Yeah. So my normal week would consist of a ten-hour days Monday to Thursday. A eight-hour day on a Friday and an eight-hour day on a Saturday. So, yeah, so pretty big week. Overtime pretty much Monday to Thursday and working a Saturday is pretty normal for me. Right, so that's five and a half, six days a week. But, of course, you are remunerated for every hour that you spend, right? I mean, it's not as if you're doing free work. So they are. So basically, really, Friday and Saturday is overtime for you. Is that right? Uh, no, so, my, like, so basically my Friday will be my, part of my normal weekday. Uh, sorry, work week. Um, but the two hours on top of my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday would be overtime. Oh, yep. Okay. And then, and then the Saturday would also be a full day of overtime because it's not part of my standard nice. week. Okay. That's fantastic. Um, and have you had a lot of resistance when you've tried to, I mean, I'm like you, I mean, I, I talk about money all the time, although I don't talk about it very much at work because a lot of people at work don't know who I am, but certainly talk about it outside of work. Have you had resistance when you've tried to sort of talk about it in your field at work? I mean, what's been the response of people? Mm, I think I can, I'm pretty good at picking and choosing who I speak to in regards to finance at work. And, and yeah, there wouldn't be – there's not many people I speak to in, in regards to in, in finance at work, but I pick up on it – like the, I'm working with an apprentice right now and he's um, – he's quite interested in it and I can see that he takes it on board and he wants to have a chat and he's just bought his first property and he's, uh, these are all the things I remember doing and I'm, I try and, you know, point some, put him, give him some pointers and whatnot. Uh, but then there's some people that, you know, I can tell that, you know, maybe made some poor life decisions and, and I'm maybe not in the best financial situation in life and I, I just, I'm not going to go there. Yeah. I'm just, you know, mm. it's just too awkward. Okay. No, fair enough. Yeah. At this stage, we might take a little bit of a break. And when we come back, we'll sort of go into a little bit about your sort of profession a bit more. Also talk about debt. Also talk about your investing. What have you done in your life at such a young age? And if you want to talk about net worth and all that, happy for you to talk about that. Uh, So we'll just take a short break and we'll be back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right, we're back with Luke, who's a commercial electrician. Um, and in this segment, which is the second segment, we're going to really deep dive into Luke's money wins and his life as an electrician, his income, his his net worth, etc., which he's kindly offered to share. Now, debt. What's your overall view on debt, Luke? I mean, do you have a debt at the moment? What's your thought process? Yeah, so early on, I, was, um, I definitely had uh, negative thoughts towards debt. I was scared of it. I didn't like it. Um, as I've grown a little bit older and a little bit wiser, I now know the difference between good debt and bad debt um, and how I can use leverage to my advantage. And do you have any personal debt like bad debt at all or it's pretty much all paid off? Yeah, so our PPOR, so our Plumbing Impressive Residency, is um, oh, it's basically paid off now. Wow. Um, and then we have, an, yeah, and we have an investment property that isn't debt. Um, but that's but it's it's um, positive cash flow, so it's fine. Right. Okay. Um, and that's it. And that's about it. Yeah. So no outstanding credit card debt, no personal loan debt. Haven't haven't bought a flashy car with your high income. No car loans. Nothing like that. Ah, uh, I, I I do like my cars, and I yep. do own a couple of nice cars. Uh, I must admit, I, I do. But um, no, we own these outright. Nice. So just, just to clarify, and, and, and I just want people to focus on that little bit of nugget that you threw out there, principal place of residence completely paid off at the age of early 30s with a positive cash flow investment property. Now, that's not normal. That's outstanding by any standards. In fact, I can't think of doctors that earn a fair bit of money doing that at your age. How did you achieve that? And did you get help from family, from friends, your partner? Do you, are you a dual income family, for example? How is that possible? Because when you say that to the average person who's listening, and we're recording this in 2023, inflationary pressures, cost of living pressures, the immediate response is, nah, it's not possible. But you're living proof it is possible. And I didn't know all of this before we recorded, but I'm just curious how did you do it? I think uh, a series of maybe lucky decisions and smart decisions early on in life. Um, I, I was always sort of attracted to finance at an early age. Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure, Dave. Have you heard of the um, the the forum, Summersoft Forum, which is now no. more known as Property Chat? Okay, so oh, it was like okay. I have heard of the property chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I haven't heard of the other version of it. Yep. Yeah. So the original version of that was SummerSoft, um, and I always remember being like 17, 18 years old, and I come across that page, the internet site, and um, it was it was awesome. Like it was it was teaching you sort of like what the stuff you teach, but on a forum. Um, you know, hints, tips, tricks all the stuff regarding finance and I used to binge on it. I, I think I used to spend about an hour on it a night just flicking through at 18. So um, it was a big reason why I went down the electrical field as well because I, I knew that I could get start earning money early on. And I basically purchased my first property uh, at the age of 21. Um, and that was just due to, I guess, saving. Um, I also played uh, sport semi-professionally. 
Um, okay. And I got in a habit of living off my side hustle and saving my income. Okay. Yep. I also had a, um, I had a car at the time that was worth a little bit of money. I had sold that. And then I basically put everything that I had at 21 to purchase my first property. Now, obviously, properties back then were significantly cheaper. Um, but I, I, I remember just buying what I could afford. Um, and mm. it wasn't much. It was a starting point. And, yeah, so I did that. Um, and then that property and that property increased in value quite significantly. It was um, positive cash flow from day one. Right. I was also living at home with at my with my parents. I had breakfast, lunch, dinner served. I had virtually no expenses, mm-hmm. um, and I just got into the like. And, and don't get me wrong, I had a good work life balance. I was still going out, having fun, doing my thing, playing heaps of sport. Um, but I sort of had that in the background. I had the rent coming in. It was you know positive from day one. I was aggressively paying it down. And yeah, we, we got on top of that one quick. I also, a big thing as well, I met my partner early on in life. Um, so I guess she had a, I think that's a big one to be honest. Um, she had a, sim, a similar sort of mindset to me. I remember her being at uni having three part-time jobs. So she was a hard worker, I was a hard worker. Um, we were sort of both going in the same direction. So it made things a lot easier. And yeah, um, that was that first property that we bought, 21. Yep, and now you've got, um You've got two two properties now, including your PPR. Is that right? No. So after that first property, we bought the second one. Um, again, that one was in the, the western suburbs. Um, by then, I was just binging that SummerSoft uh, property chat forum, and I come. I, I become obsessed with tra- trying to buy my next property undervalued. So right. um, yeah. So basically, what I had done was I got myself in a position where I didn't need finance. Um, so I needed finance, but the clause subject to no finance. And, I yep. um, yeah, so I, I was in a strong position. I, I wouldn't say, piss in, I wouldn't do pest inspections and things like that. And basically what I did was I remember my parents home at the time where they were living when the local train station got built, um, my parents' house increased in value a lot. So I thought, I want to try buy my second property um, somewhere where there's possibly a, a train station going to go up because then that'll give me a bit more, um, I guess, a bit more equity if that happens. Um, and I also want to try buy undervalued. And basically, what I did was I went around um, leaving offers. Um, so if a house was back then say three hundred and sixty thousand, I'd leave an offer of say three twenty. Mm. And I, I did this like maybe ten times, and I got laughed at every single time, but I'd say, give me the piece of paper, let me put the number on it and give it to them. And who knows, who knows what might happen. But the year of doing this, um, I got lucky. I bought a property that was undervalued, located very well where a train station was about to go up. Um, and I did very, very well at that, out of that second purchase. A wow. mistake that I made along the way was I think with the first property, I, um, when we purchased that one, I just went to the bank and got a, a plain J and a home loan. And it didn't have an offset account. And it, basically, when we had paid that first property off, um, my money was sort of tied up in that property. So when it comes to buying the primary place of residency, we decided to sell the first property and then use those funds towards the primary place of residency. Right. It was sort of like going around in circles. But yeah, it was basically one property, then the second property. And then we sold the first one, the fun, our family home. Yeah. Okay. So now you've got the family home, which is fully offset and fully paid off. 
and you've got the positive cash flow investment property. What about stock market shares? Do you do any of that sort of stuff? Yeah. So this is, um, I've been only doing this sort of in recent times. I, and how I come to investing in shares is basically, I was getting to a point where I was, you know, I'm on top of my house. I own a lot of the things now that I wanted in, in terms of hobbies and cars and, and that kind of stuff. And I was thinking, oh, I'm still working very, very, very hard. So I'm, I'm doing the big out. I'm, I'm making, I feel as if a good income, but boy, I'm working hard for it. So I thought, you know, like, what can I do to just bring that passive income up? But I still want to work, but I just want to reduce that, that over time. And, um, uh, all my research and all my sort of reading led me to one avenue and that was shares, stocks. Okay. So yeah, I started doing that now. How, how long have you been in the stock market and do you actively invest in individual stocks or do you do the lazy thing that I do, which is the ETFs and index variety? Um, so yeah, I'm all about yeah, keep it simple, stupid and sleep at night factor. So I, I keep it just as simple as I can and that's ETFs. Um, I basically do 50% of our portfolio in the Australian index and then the other 50% in the global. Um, and that is as complicated as it gets. And do you then do it weekly, monthly, fortnightly? How do you, or do you do it three monthly? How do you structure that? Yeah. So we dollar cost average. Um, we will get, uh, like I said, with our budgeting at the end of every four weeks, we get a, a net income. We divide, we take away our net expense and that will leave us an X amount of dollars, we just round that off to a nice even flat number and then that'll go straight to work. Okay. So you do that, um, you know, you, you, you physically log in and you physically put that money every sort of, you know, every sort of month or whatever it is that you do. Okay, cool. And how long have you been doing that, Luke? Uh, I'd say about six months now. Six months. Okay. So you've really been in the sort of index field in the last six months. What about super? Because obviously your, your employer tops you up nicely. 12% is phenomenal. Do you try and max that out or how, how do you structure super in your um, fire journey? Yeah. So with the super, I've, I basically throw an extra hundred dollars per week on top of that as well. And to, to be fair um, with super, like when I did do that, I, I, I didn't really, like I know super, the basics of super, but other than that, I, I didn't know much about it. And the only reason why I did was just some of this, I guess, smarter guys at work were doing it. And I thought, you know, if, if he's doing it, well, maybe maybe it might be smarter if I do it. So mm. it was a much thought process behind that. But I don't max I don't max out my twenty seven thousand, but I I put something a little bit more in, and I think you know it's better than nothing. But yeah, yeah. I mean, your biggest advantage is you've got a twelve percent um, guaranteed super, which I mean that's phenomenal. I think. I think some of the universities pay up to 17%. I think that's the highest that I know. But most people just get between the sort of 10 and 10.5%, which is which is the mandated super. And uh, look, you know, a lot of people ignore it, but irrespective of all that, super is hands down one of the best, easiest ways to save for your retirement. Now, obviously, you know, for, for listeners that are, you know, clearly financially literate like Luke, like myself, yeah, we do other stuff. We do property. I've got property. I've got index funds. I've got super. But if you don't know what to do, then start with super. Learn about it. It's actually not that complicated. Um, and the tax breaks, uh, which I doubt the government will ever come after, to be honest, for the average person. If you're sort of a five, ten millionaire, maybe, but uh, not for the average person, uh, the tax breaks are quite significant um, compared to your marginal tax rates. Um, and so, if it's all right for me to ask you. 
What is your current net worth at such a young age, including your principal place of residence? Uh, we're around about the two million mark. Okay. Yep. And obviously, uh, we've realised that we're probably maybe net asset rich and passive income poor. So mm-hmm. we own a house and this and that, but I'm still working on 60, 70 hours a week. It's not, I'm, I'm still, yeah. So that's when I sort of realised, you know, there was a stage 12 months ago, I, I was thinking, oh, do I sell the PPOR and upgrade it to a nicer house? You, you know, us, Mel, us Melbourne people and Australians in general, we love property and it's always Oh, the bigger, grander, more expensive thing that, you know, will keep me working on Saturday for the rest of my life. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I, I don't know, just, it's got to be a better way of doing things, you know. I'm, 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 I'm not getting any younger. I'm working as hard as ever. Um, I, just, I just wanted that, that room to stretch. No, absolutely. I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal net worth at such a young age. And I can tell you that uh, people listening in, um, including myself, are absolutely stunned. I think that's great. I mean, really, realistically, if we're going to project out your net worth, you know, at the time of retirement, say, let's say in the next sort of 10 years, you're probably looking at about the sort of five mil mark, if not more. And if, you know, at some stage, Luca, I assume you'll still want to do some sort of part-time work uh, in 10 years, or are you thinking about in another five to 10 years, you're going to hang up the boots? What's your strategy oh. there? Nah, definitely not. I think, um, well, in the accumulation phase over the last decade, we've had two sold incomes, uh, my wife and I, so we're both working. Um, the next decade is going to look very, very different. I, I can see us possibly having children. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be a reduced income. You know, I'm, I'm trying to find that balance. I'm not, I'm not chasing these big numbers and this fire and this retire early. I'm, I like a lot of their stuff that they do over there in that corner. I like a lot what you do as well. And I just sort of blend it in to something that I'm happy with, that I'm comfortable with. Um, but ideally, I'd, I'd probably say I'd like to maybe start to maybe, maybe 50. 50 sounds good, but still do something, um, whatever that might be, whether it might be working at the council cutting the grass I don't know. I probably don't see myself doing what I'm doing right now when I'm 55. Yep. Um, but I think doing what I'm doing at the moment with investing and um, and whatnot will, will give me choice. It'll, it'll be my decision later on and not someone else's. And I think that's what's the most important for me. You know, I was just speaking to a doctor about a few hours ago um, during one of the clarity calls, and that's exactly what I said. It's all about choice. You don't want to get to the age of 50 and then reflect on your life and say, actually, 20 years ago, I should have paid myself and I should have invested and bought property and, and just not live the life of lifestyle creep. So I think you're absolutely spot on. I mean, I mean, like you, I'm not going to completely retire because I've done so much training and you've done so much training. You don't want to give it all that away uh, just because you reach fire, but it just means in another five or 10 years, you know, we can sort of look back and say, you know what, I'm not going to do full-time work. I might do part-time work. And the advantage for you, I see is that you've structured it out so beautifully so that when you end up having children, when your partner takes time off work, you don't need to worry about money. You've structured it out. I mean, that's what is amazing about your story. And I mean, look what's happening around us right now in Australia. Interest rates are rising. Families are potentially, you know, worried about cost of living pressures. If you want to avoid that, the only way you're going to avoid that is by planning it, structuring it, 
and really finding your niche like Luke's done and exploiting it at such a young age. And then in the return for that, the reward for that is he gets remunerated well, he's worked it out and he's planned it out. You don't want to be in a situation where a 0.5% interest rate rise um, is going to you know, potentially cause you so much insomnia. I'm sure Luke doesn't care about the interest rate rises because he's paid it off. Like it's fully offset. Who cares? Um, again, do I care about interest rate rises? Not really. It doesn't keep me up at night. Yeah, I've got a few investment properties that have risen in rates, but again, I don't overcommit myself. It's these fundamental, simple stuff that I think people get so wrong. And I assume it also happens in your profession where they get it so wrong. And I think I think what you've done is uh, uh, quite stunning to be honest and and spreading that knowledge with your apprentices is amazing yeah so i was saying like i I obviously i I love what you do in your podcast and and like your how you always say in 50 years you know finance financial principles will be the same investing concepts will be the same saving concepts will be the same debt reduction will be the same you know it's just i think it's just getting the basics right it's you know like everyone talks about oh buying your coffee every day and all those little things, those little things, in my opinion, they don't move the needle. They don't move the needle enough to even talk about it. I think if you just get your top expenses sorted and that's basically your housing or where where you live or where you rent, what you drive, what you eat, how you spend your money on your holidays and uh, who you marry or spouse up with. I think if you get those sort of four or five sort of areas um, sorted in your life and you follow your simple budgeting, which is pretty much 30% on your mortgage, 30% on household living, 20% pay yourself and 20% emergency. You you really can't go wrong. Like it's, when you look at it like that, it is pretty simple, but yeah, it's, it's easy to go wrong as well. So I think you just get the basics right and then the rest will work itself out. Absolutely. And, and what's interesting is that, you know, you know, we, we haven't talked about debt recycling we haven't talked about your expense ratio for your index funds. We haven't talked about your brokerage fees. I haven't even asked you what broker you use. And in the scheme of things, it doesn't matter. What matters is getting started early and really using time to your advantage and using compounding to your advantage. And I, and I hear a lot of people, you know, I mean, I'll talk to a lot of mainly healthcare workers who ask me things like, what should I do to reduce my tax? Let's give me some tax tips and do something creative, you know, trust funds and this and that. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, that's all secondary. If you don't have a high income and you have a high expense and you're spending more than you earn, it doesn't matter whether you've got an account on the Cayman Islands because you're still going to be exactly broke. That's right. <laughs> So yeah. it's, it's phenomenal that a lot of people just don't grasp that. And, and look, again, it's, it's, it's fantastic listening to your story. Now, specific money wins. So is there something specific that you do? It could be something simple. It could be like, for example, one of the, one of the best money wins that I do, for example, or we do as a family, is we do online shopping and we only shop in the special section. You can actually do that at Woolies online website and oh, yeah. Coles online website. Um, Audi, I don't think has an online sort of shopping and you can actually go to the specials and just shop in the specials. And it actually compares your price for the specials for a pasta, for example, versus what, what the original cost was. So we're constantly saving money and don't get me wrong. I make a lot of money. I'm wealthy, but I'm still you know, frugal. Do you have things like that? What do you do in your life or your partner that perhaps we can share? Uh, well, I, I guess whenever we make a purchase, I, I put a lot of thought into it. 
I'm not the type of person that will just go out and buy something spontaneously. I'm always like, whatever that might be, whether it's a car or a toaster, I'm thinking about it. Um, I'm shopping around. I'm seeing if there's you know a better price. Um, I don't. I definitely don't buy the cheapest thing. I'm, I'm big on um, buying something quality um, and maintaining that quality item so it lasts me a long time. Um, so for example, if I service my vehicle, I'm only servicing it with genuine parts. There's little things like that. Um, I think a money win was probably maybe, you know, me putting a lot of time and effort um, when I was younger to sort of get myself on the right path at an early age and then let sort of time do its thing. Um, I think that's probably a big thing for us. Um, and uh, another thing that we kind of do as well, um, I don't know if it's a money-saving thing or, or whatnot, but what I do is I always, whatever I do, whatever I do with finance, I set a realistic goal. And then I set realistic check points. So say I've got a $200,000 debt, I will say do something for the both of us at say every $50,000 we pay off and make it a little bit enjoyable. Nice. Um, so that's something that we do. Um, so, you know, like we might say we might have four checkpoints and they're realistic checkpoints for us to get to every say second year and every second year we'll, we will reward ourselves for, for reaching that checkpoint. Mm. And then at the end goal, We'll have like, you know, might be buying a car or might be going on an overseas holiday, um, that kind of thing. And I, I think that keeps myself on, on, on the path. So like keeps me head down, bum up, you know, let's get to work. That works for it's, us. That's actually a really, really interesting thing. It gives you a little bit of a psychological boost to make sure that you are sticking to the plan. That's, that's very similar to what Dave Ramsey says about the debt snowball. I'm not sure whether you've heard about that, where they don't really – they, they sort of ignore the interest rates. They, they focus on the size of debt because a psychological element of getting those small debts out of the way, and in your case, the psychological element of reaching your milestones yes. is so- um, Powerful. It's powerful. It's infectious. It, yeah. it becomes addictive. It becomes, you know, you start to push the boundaries. I can do more. You know, it's like, I, I, for example, um, every, like I said about realistic goals, my goal with the uh, with my share portfolio is to replace my overtime. That is mm-hmm. a very realistic goal for myself. I know that I can push that so much further, but that's not the goal. The goal is to replace my overtime. It's a realistic goal. I know if I keep working as hard as what we are, we're going to achieve this goal. Mm. And then from there, the sky's the limit. Yeah, that's great. That's amazing, actually. That's um, I've never actually thought about it like that. But reflecting on my own life, we do something very similar, but you've actually put it into words, which, uh, which I hope a lot of people are doing, or if not, will be doing after this episode. Now, Luke, you've got the ear of thousands of people, mostly healthcare workers, but we've got lots of tradespersons, other professionals, lawyers, accountants. And actually today... I found out that there's heaps of financial advisors listening in onto my channel. Um, and sometimes they sort of contact me and, and sort of say, oh, look at what I said in this particular principle, you know, it's not entirely accurate. Or most of them actually say, actually, a lot of the stuff that we speak about and a lot of the stuff that I speak about in my episodes is actually highly accurate. And one particular financial advisor routinely um, tells all of their clients to listen to my channel. So we, we have a wide spectrum of professions listening in, what do you think that you did that you think that everyone, regardless of profession, can do to enhance their financial literacy? What is it about Luke that sets you apart and what would you like to tell us? Yeah, I think it's just literally just get the basics right. 
hey, you, I, I love what you do and what your podcast and t- your budgeting system and and you know your investing principles. I, I know how you always talk about educating and empowering and entertainment, but for me, it's just just get the basics right. Pay yourself, have a budgeting system, have a savings rate, or at least be aware of your savings rate. And then you know, like whatever your savings rate it might be, ten percent, it might be minus twenty percent. Mm. Work on it. You know, um, I, I personally, I think I spoke to you uh, previously about this. I, um, I compare my health and fitness journey to my, fi- to my finance journey. So basically what I'm trying to say is the first day someone might walk into a gym, I, I, this, is my, I, this is my bread and butter going working out and whatnot, but basically the first time you walk into a gym, if you haven't been into a gym before, it can be, it can be quite intimidating. There might be um, – lots of equipment that you've never seen before. You might not know how to use. You might, do do I need a personal trainer? Do I need someone to hold my hand at the start and show me around and things like that? And then basically, as you continue to go, you, you get stronger, you get fitter, you get more confident. Soon you don't need the personal trainer anymore. If you were running six minutes a kilometer, you might be running five minutes, 30 a kilometer. And you're getting quicker, fitter, stronger, more confident. With finance, for me, I found that to be identical. So when I first, when I was young and I started looking at, at money and, and finance, everything was, whoa, this is mm. seriously overwhelming. I'm buying a house, my first house. Do I do principal and interest? What's an offset account? What's a redraw account? It's just, it's just so much happening. But you just pick one thing at a time, and you just work on it tick it off and then you go to the next thing whether it might be super whether it's investing whether it's saving and you will you will surely see with time you will get more confident you will get more comfortable and this can only be a good thing yeah absolutely information knowledge is power isn't it and you know you don't have to learn everything all at once um which you learn the basics first. I'm still learning. I'm still learning every single day, Dev. I'm a. I'm, I'm no guru, or I'm just a mate. I'm just a tradie. I'm just a. I'm just an average guy. I'm just having a crack. You know, like twelve months ago, I was scared of the share market, and now I love it. So, uh, nice. everyone's learning. Um, and yeah, I think anyone that's listening to your stuff is. Well ahead of the game because if if you scroll to the bottom of your um your your podcast series and you start and you get you flick through it and you listen to it, there is no doubt in my mind you will be better with your finances. Fantastic! No, thanks very much for the uh, vouch of confidence. Um, I'll tell you what the learning point that I've had during this sort of you know almost one hour of interaction, and I'll sort of speak to the audience about this. Luke very early on decided what he wanted to do, and he perfected it, he did his research, and he very quickly identified that commercial electrical work pays more. He took the pay-as-you-go approach uh, rather than setting up his own business. And then he worked out his niche, he specialised, and he drove a truck through it and basically made and making a killing for his profession. Now, that concept is the same whether you're an electrician whether you're a plumber, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a paramedic, it doesn't matter. So rather than, you know, being a 20-year-old sort of procrastinating, if I can pronounce that right, I think Luke made the right choices in life and he literally just executed a basic plan and realised that if this potential pathway is going to lead him to the highest rate of income. Now, the next step is 
utilizing trading that time for income and utilizing that income to go to the next level, which is, I think, what Luke was saying about replacing that overtime income with passive investments and passive income so that he can spend a bit more time with his um, children in the future and his and his wife, etc. So that is probably, again, I, I cannot stress this enough, develop a niche, perfect your art, doesn't matter what profession, and then your income will be high because you, you kind of be, will be indispensable because there's not many people that does what Luke does. Um, and and that's that's the point of differentiator that I'd probably say, and you just uh, execute it to perfection. Absolutely phenomenal interview. So really appreciate uh, Luke's time and thank you very much uh, for sharing your, your time with us. So if you have any questions specifically for Luke, um, you can send it to me. I will send it to him. Uh, Luke is not his real name, but um, he, he'll be more than happy, particularly if you're a young apprentice listening in. If you're a tradesperson and you think that things are a little bit too much at the moment, inflation, cost of living pressures, and, and you're worried about, okay, what what profession and you want to have a you know chat or maybe connect to Luke uh, with his with his consent. I'm happy to I'm happy to share that, but I'll always ask his consent, of course. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. No worries. Um, I'd just like to say thank, thanks again, Dev. Um, the amount of time and commitment that y- you have done, um, time away from your family to to produce what you have, yeah, to help strangers like myself be better is just phenomenal. So I'd just like to say thank you to yourself. I, I, I do like how you've recently changed your name from My Millennial uh, Medical to Professional um, mm. because I'm a strong believer that finance is such a broad subject and um, – yeah, it's uh, it can be for everyone. It's not just uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. Money affects us all. Um, money's just a tool. It's to make your life a little bit better. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Luke. Now, if you have any specific questions or comments, please uh, reach out to me. And of course, please leave a five star rating and five star review on Apple Podcast, or leave a five star rating and review on all of the podcasting platforms. That's even better because the more people that see those reviews, the more ratings you leave, which means more people get access to this free content, which I hope is really, really beneficial. So my name's Dev Raga. This is My Millennium Money Professional. And thank you very much, Luke. Until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.